Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. We're your hosts over there. It's Mr. Two Brains. Howdy. I'm the L Train. To you live from Flying Bull Productions Studios. This is Laugh number 63. Four. 64. See, I always... I have to go to you for math questions. <laughs> Anything that's math related, I have to go to you. This was, uh, we're going to talk today about a Marvel movie, the uh, next, the la- the penultimate Marvel movie of the year, or of the summer, I guess. Uh, Ant-Man. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. If you give godlike powers to everyone, it's going to be chaos. So how do we stop him? By knowing I. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. And I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. You seemed confused over there when I threw to the to the trailer, Mr. Two Frames. There's only one more Marvel movie coming out this summer, right? Well, technically, Fantastic Four is a Marvel franchise, but it's not a Marvel movie. Uh, Fantastic Four is being uh, released by Fox Pictures. Oh, but they'll have that Marvel tag on it. Yeah, I, I don't know how that works. I, I don't know if that's considered that's awesome. canon or not. Um, I know Ant-Man marked the end of Marvel Films Phase, phase two, 2. Yeah. And Phase 3 begins next year, I think in May, with uh, Captain America 3 uh, Civil War. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Phase 3 is supposed to last four years up through 2019. Include something like nine films. Ugh. Excited, aren't you? No, not at all. But I kind of liked Ant-Man. He did? Yeah, surprisingly. This was uh, the movie about a guy that can shrink and grow (laughs) at will with the aid of a suit, I suppose. Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd, has been recruited by Michael Douglas's Hank Pym to don this suit and get in with them insects. I guess he can only talk to ants. At least in this movie, you can only talk to ants, right? Yeah, it was just ants. And I didn't realize a lot of ants have wings and Yeah, it's fly. convenient to have flying ants. Uh, I guess he couldn't talk to termites. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Because that would be a pretty effective tool. If you could get termites to do what you wanted them to do. Yeah, you got three months for them to chew through that beam. <laughs> well, you set up a long-term plan. There, there you go. I, I don't know. As far as superhero powers go, this just didn't seem to be that great for one. All right. Well, talk to ants. The growing's kind of cool, though. I mean, we can talk about the physics of that. I wasn't always sure what was going on there. Have you ever been stung by an ant? No, no, I've never had the red ants. There you go. Have you ever been attacked or chased by a bee? Yeah, I've had bee stings. I got stung, I think, at least fifty times by bees, and it it kind of made me kind of (laughs) drunk. It was it was somewhat enjoyable, surprisingly. I had to go in and rescue a dog. I was my own superhero that was getting stung by a bunch of bees. My girlfriend's dog uh, had gotten into a beehive 
and I had to go rescue her. Yeah, and I got stung myself. The big, fat, black, bumbly bees. Ooh. Not those little hard, you know, the little ones. You're brave. You could have gone to anaphylactic shock. It was a dog. I'd do anything for a dog. <laughs> Plus, it was my girlfriend's dog. There's not much you could do. I threw him in the horse trough, or her, and uh, and I ran the other way. Running is not very effective. Yeah, I didn't bees. think you no. really. <laughs> and then I got into someone's bees. truck. Yeah, because the guy that was in the truck drove away. Well, I guess that's the other thing. How fast do insects fly, like? And Ant-Man, those ants seem to fly really, really fast. Yeah, they can catch up to helicopters and stuff. Yeah, and to me, I don't think they go that fast. Eight, ten miles an hour. These bees didn't have very far to go. Plus, if you can't run as fast as me, then you got big problems. Although this was in my younger years when I was a little bit more athletic. But anyway, getting back to the film. This is directed by Peyton Reed. Uh, there were a lot of production problems because it was originally supposed to be directed by Edgar Wright, who is uh, one of the screenwriters, along with Joe Cornish and Paul Rudd. They uh, they get some writing credits. I think Paul Rudd made a lot of the changes um, that may have led Edgar Wright away from it. I don't know. There's conflicting testimony on. Yeah, I mean, Edgar Wright worked on this for something like five years, developing the property. And then he walked away three months, I think, before principal photography. He's a little bitter. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. got a lot of, uh, he's still got an executive director credit. So I'm sure he's making a lot of money off of it. Yeah, but he's also burning a lot of bridges. My guess is he doesn't care. And the thing is, probably they made it a Marvel franchise movie and he wanted it to have its own distinct uh, sort of identity. Mm-hmm. And the, I think those Marvel touches may have cheapened the movie somewhat. So he may have had a point there. I don't know. I read a lot about the changes that were made, the back and forth. And yeah, he gets all muddled after a while. I mean, Overall, I, though, what were you going to say? A lot of the story feels muddled is what I was going to say. All right. Like, I mean, I just doing research, the Yellow Jacket character is not really a villain. What, the, in, you mean the, the main actual, villain? Yeah, like, the main villain like not, yeah, is not an actual villain in the comic books. No, I don't think... Do you really have a problem with him changing things from the comic books? Well, to me, great superheroes also have great supervillains. And this one, just like the supervillain, felt a little flat. And so I was trying to research, you know, see if he was cooler in the comic books. And I find out, no, the Corey Stoll character, uh, Darren Cross, he is an adversary of Ant-Man. But he just has a super heart. So he has, like, super strength. But his hearts keep burning out. So, like Iron Man? Yeah, kind of. He has a super heart. What? Somehow he gets superpowers, but it also causes his hearts to burn out. So he has to keep getting heart transplants. Okay. So, and he so the whole reason he's evil is, yeah, because he has to kidnap people and take their heart. So, in, <laughs> right. I mean, I understand that's, that's, a that's not a great <laughs> yeah. character. So making him Yellow Jacket. All right. I mean, the design of the character is kind of cool, but hmm. I don't know. It, it just, it felt like the motif of, the superhero has to fight a supervillain who has the same power set as him. Okay. Like, in Maybe. the first Iron Man movie, you saw that. Oh, he's in the Hulk movies. He has to take on some other big hulking dude. In Spider-Man, he takes on the exact replica of himself, right? In Venom? Yeah. Uh, Captain America 2, the Winter Soldier. He takes on the Winter Soldier, which is pretty much just another it's, Captain America It's guy. not going to be that way in Spider-Man versus Batman. So maybe DC has a better handle on that trope. I would love to see Spider-Man vs. Batman. When is that coming out? You know who else uh, wants to see Spider-Man vs. Batman? Who? Uh, Stan Lee. And he wants to make a cameo in it. (laughs) 
No, I think that'd be an interesting film. Yeah. I think we're going to have to sell for Superman versus Batman for a what while. What did I say? Spider-Man versus Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Well, but... you know who else wants to see <laughs> Superman versus Batman? Who? Uh, Stan Lee. Oh, really? Yeah, he wants to make a cameo. Oh, that's it. cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I read that somewhere. Um, this movie also stars Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne. Uh, and then it's got a cast of other, or a host of other characters. Uh, Judy. Michael Pena plays a friend of his. Uh, John Slatter, Slattery, uh, plays, uh, a version of Howard Hawk. Or, sorry, Howard Stark. Not Howard Hawk. Howard Stark. Uh, Judy Greer as, uh, Paul Rudd's ex-wife. Judy Greer oh, yeah, was also in Jurassic World. Uh, she's been in Tomorrowland. She keeps doing all these big box office films, but she's only in them for five or ten minutes. Yeah, she's probably, in terms of box office, she's probably made more money, been in films that have made more money than anybody else. I'm really looking forward this to her next this film that comes out. The Hebrew Hammer versus Hitler. Oh, yeah. And she's apparently starring in that. Um, I like that movie, The Hebrew Hammer, the first one. <laughs> it was good. Love that movie. Um Let's see, Paul Rudd's new movie. You looking forward to Sausage Party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The animated book about or a movie about uh, uh, cured meats in tube form. It's supposed to be either PG thirteen, possibly R. Right? Oh, an R rated car. Uh, yeah, I thought it was film. supposed to be one of these. Like it's directed or geared towards uh, adults. Yeah, yeah. I almost said humans. <laughs> All right, we've talked a lot about a lot of movies. We haven't said a whole lot about this movie except for negative stuff that you have to say, surprisingly, because you're the big fanboy of the show. You're the guy who's supposed to like all the superhero movies. You're the one that kind of convinced me to give this this movie a shot, and you said you really wanted to see it. You asked, you you sort of uh, suggested it as one of the um, summer movie previews mm-hmm. for friend of the show and listeners, uh, S. Matheny. So what's up, man? You're I, down on the Ant-Man. I, to me, this felt like movie by committee. Well, it kind of was. <laughs> yeah, and I, and it just I, I felt like that the whole movie through. Just it, it didn't seem to know what it wanted to be. It didn't have its own style. A lot of times, I felt like it was going for the Guardians of the Galaxy vibe. Paul Rudd was trying to be kind of the suave, flunky superhero, kind of like uh, Chris Pine was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pine. Not Chris Pine. Um, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Thank you. I knew it was wrong as soon as I said right. it. Chris Pratt. I was trying to think because he was in the Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. Different he was also movie. in Horrible Bosses too, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. All right. Um, I, I like Paul Rudd. I think he'll be very good when he plays Ant-Man in the new Avengers films. And I think he's also going to be in uh, Captain America Civil War. I just don't know that he could carry this whole movie. I don't think the supporting cast helped him very much. I like all of the actors involved, but... There just didn't seem to be a great chemistry. All right. In terms of Paul Rudd, I really liked him. I liked his sense of playfulness. And I liked the fact that he was uh, jokey but not snarky. And he wasn't sarcastic like Spider-Man. And he wasn't conceited like Iron Man. So his brand, their their sense of self-deprecation appealed to me uh, in terms of being uh, the alter ego of a superhero. There were some problems I'd had with him too, but... I thought he was unassuming and amusing. So his shtick got me. Yeah, I think the problem was he never really had anyone to volley off of. Evangeline Lilly just had one mood in the whole movie. She was just angry. Yeah, she was, well. And then Michael Douglas 
I like him as a dramatic actor. He's not much for comedy. I don't think he could keep up with Paul Rudd. I heard him talking on the film program, BBC uh, podcast and radio show. And he said he was upset with Paul Rudd because Rudd did a lot of the rewriting that involved um, the jokes. Mm. And his job in this movie was to give long uh, sort of soliloquies of exposition, which would be completely undermined by a quick joke by uh, Paul Rudd. So basically he's doing all of the setup for just a quick little puntastic uh, statement by Rudd mm-hmm. and it kind of annoyed him. So I think that they gave him maybe some throwaway line later on, but I thought he was great as Hank Pym. I mean, I, I thought he was, it, it would have been interesting, although I'm glad the movie didn't necessarily do it, but it would have been interesting to see him as the original Ant-Man and they have a small segment of it, but uh, you know, sort of sporadic. And I, I think they did a pretty good job of building that character as a legacy, the Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's um, one of the things I liked about it. That opening scene where you see Tony Stark's father, you also see an uh, older Peggy Carter, uh, Captain America's love interest from the first film, and then you see a much younger Michael Douglas. I thought that was all very well done. Michael Douglas said he wants to revisit some of his earlier characters using this uh, technology. Oh, really? He wants to be Gordon Gecko again? Yeah, or do uh, Romancing the Stone, do a prequel to that. Yeah. So... No, I thought those things were strong. I thought Michael Douglas was fine with his character, but I just don't think he could keep up with the comedy. I thought he had a couple jokes in there. They just didn't work terribly well. Huh. I don't know. I I like all these people. I like all these parts. I think Ant-Man will do fine in future films, but... You don't think they'll do fine in a standalone future film? Yeah, I... All right. Well, then let me be the apologist for Ant-Man. All right. And surprisingly, you're going to take the contrarian point of view, and normally the roles are reversed here. This movie has, uh, it it does retain some of its own distinct brand of uh, a smaller narrative, moved away from that Avengers sort of superhero montage, that, that Marvel Universe. And those are the parts I liked about it, the parts where they, change that and undermine it, that sort of annoyed me. And I guess the, there's a middle MacGuffin that's sort of a spoiler. We'll have to, I think, save it for later on in the show. But um, if it, if that hadn't been in there, I would have liked the movie a lot a lot better. Oh, so, you, felt, you yeah. felt that slowed everything down? Not that it slowed it down. It actually accomplished a lot visually. Mm-hmm. But I think that putting that big Marvel stamp on it um, sort of destroys the quirkiness of the film itself. But there are a lot of good quirky parts. Like you said, it's sort of like Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm glad, for one, that it didn't open with a giant um, chase sequence or a giant action sequence, which seems to be a trope that's going overboard on these superhero movies. As I've said before on the show, I sat down at Avengers 2 and I walked out after the first 15 minutes and you thought that was the best part of the movie. So those kinds of things really bore me. This movie, it didn't necessarily have that, and it didn't it didn't try to rely on um, those sort of tricky, uh, I don't know, overly CGI things. Initially, I mean, mm-hmm. they got to it, but initially it wasn't the draw or the attraction of the movie. Instead, it was um, it was dealing with those bigger issues of like moral responsibility, and um, it had 
stuff resolving, you know, in terms of resolving interpersonal relationships. So it was dealing with larger themes. This is the purvey of uh, Stanley's original work in comic books. He wanted to touch on larger themes. and He wanted to write about things that meant something as opposed to just people running around in costumes. And I think that that did a pretty good job, that the movie did a pretty good job with that. They only touch on it and they don't do enough with it as far as I'm concerned, but I thought they did an okay job. Yeah, I mean, there are two father-daughter relationships at play in this film, right? Right. Yeah, well, just... then there's also the mentor-mentee aspect of the Hank Pym and the Corey Stoll. Yeah. His character, uh, I don't know, I guess he's he becomes the To hornet. me, it, it was a two-hour movie and I felt like it was dragging. I actually checked my phone about halfway through the wow. film. Wow, surprising. But yet I felt like there wasn't enough character development. <laughs> like, just... Stuff went on too long in certain scenes. I didn't understand why um, Corey Stoll's character, Darren Cross, was so evil. It's yeah. just he's always been a bit of an oddball. He, he They had one scene where he kills someone fairly early on in the movie, so we know he really is evil. But he didn't do much other evil stuff. Oh, he well, he did. Until he, later. I mean, until much, much later. Oh, well, he destroyed lambs. <laughs> <laughs> he brought lambs to slaughter. He was doing experiments. Yeah, that was horrifying. Made it a little hard to watch, Mr. Two Frames. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess you don't care about lambs, little baby lammies. That, that's not as See, evil. See, that, that shows evilness in your heart. <laughs> no, do I like them hurting animals? <sighs> no, but it just it, it didn't work. There wasn't enough development there. All right. Um, I thought visually the movie was very cool. I like, you know, showing the micro world, though it, it bothered me. <laughs> with the way they'd show Ant-Man shrinking. The first time he shrank, he shrank from the feet up to the head. And then he fell the six feet of, you know, regular human height into the bathtub. For the rest of the movie, he always shrank downward. And I didn't understand that. It bothered me. I didn't Like, there were a that. lot of little inconsistencies. I felt like the plot was real um, shoestring together. Like, they took Edgar Wright's script and tried to force other things into it. Well, yeah. And they, there were huge leaps of logic. Well, now... Come on, Mr. Two Frames. Not just as many as any Avengers movie. I mean, you have to be able to suspend your disbelief. It's a superhero movie. I, I know, and, and I guess that's why I don't understand. I could suspend my disbelief through Jurassic World just fine. Yeah. And I, I love that. This, for whatever reason, I could never get caught up. I really got upset with the inconsistent physics, and it took away from any of the fight scenes. Wow. I, I don't know why this doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's very strange because as far as I'm concerned, the, the way that they accomplish those, uh, the shifting sizes and the visuals surrounding that were highlights in the movie. And I, I wasn't getting caught up in the physics. How, yeah. I, Him moving from tall to... Or, and being able like he, to jump around... He, his when he's miniature, he kind of seems to fly around when he's like punching out the bad guys. Yeah, what's he bouncing off of to do that? He's jumping. Yeah, but off what? And how's he changing direction so quick? Because he's he's an, he's an Ant Man. I know it just it, it it just didn't work for me. And then early on, they said something about you keep your mass. You know, you still have the mass of a two hundred pound man. That would also mean you have the weight. Of a two hundred pound man. Oh, see, and you can punch with the force of a bullet. Yeah. Well, he's he's more like a knife. And but, a couple times he gets slapped out of the air by someone. If you were slapping a, a little sliver that was 
that heavy, it'd be like a knife going through your hand. Mr. Two That Frames. stuff just, it bothers me. It, I, but it doesn't, it bothers you in this movie, but it doesn't bother you in Avengers and in, like you said, Jurassic World. I know. And half a dozen it's other it's an inconsistent viewpoint. <laughs> so you're willing to admit your hypocrisy and embrace it. Yeah. It, but you it, can't explain it away. No, I, I can't. But I also want to give a, a um, truthful review and just say, this is what bothered me in the film. See, and that, I will acknowledge. that. Okay. But now yeah. you see where I was on in terms of Jurassic World. Because we're we're almost looking at it the same. I, I wish we had seen those two movies back to back. I think it would have been more interesting than when we which, talked about which, Jurassic World. Which do you think you would have changed? Which would have changed your viewpoint? Would would having seen Ant Man changed your viewpoint of Jurassic World, or would do you think uh, Jurassic World would have made you appreciate Ant Man better? No, I I think they're both going to stay where they are. I don't think if I had seen them in a different order. So then why would you want to check? Why, why would you want to go back to that? Why well, no, I think your comments would be more interesting because I think this watching Ant-Man illuminates more things for you. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah. It, it's just, a, well, I understand where I was, it, what was happening to me in the movie because it was, it was the exact same experience I had with pack rim. Like with Pacific rim, I was able to just let it go and go with it. Okay. Here's one thing that really got me. They show right from the start, Paul Rudd cannot punch, right? When he's in prison, he he has no punching strength. So even when he's miniature and still retains his full-size strength, it's not that impressive. He he, he has more than full-size full strength. No, he keeps 200-pound person strength. He keeps his normal strength even when he's miniature. Oh, see, I guess that didn't matter. So I'm he's, like... He's able to, to beat people up as a miniaturized version of himself. Yeah, and I'm like, well... But he couldn't beat him up when he was full size. He still has the same strength when he's small. My guess is he has more strength. It seems like he has more strength. Apparently, later on in the comic books, he develops the ability to grow giants, and he becomes Giant Man. I'm kind of glad, glad that they kept away from that because they hinted that it could happen, but they're they're saving that for later. Yeah, I think he'll do fine in the so Avengers when he doesn't have to be the main character. Hmm. When you just get your ten to fifteen minutes of Ant Man. That'll well, be he fine did. For me. I mean, this this movie did fairly well in the box office. A little bit lower than expectations, but still around the sixty million mark. So, I would assume it's going to have a sequel, and I think Paul Rudd can handle it. I mean, I'm I would actually go see it. This is this is. Uh, I'm trying to think. Where do you rank this among it's your pro- Marvel Marvel movies? That's what I was. That's what I was just doing in my head. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy's up there. The first Spider Man with Tobey Maguire. And then this one, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah, or maybe even this is second. And for some reasons it might... But that doesn't that doesn't mean a whole lot. It's sort of like being not uh, the biggest chihuahua. <laughs> it doesn't really... I mean, that doesn't make it a great movie or anything. Because I did have a lot of problems with it. But you're willing to forgive them. Are you just going easier now in superhero movies? or No, I think I'm going easier on this movie and what it was trying to do. Like, for example, I I really like heist movies. I like the idea of a heist movie. This movie tries to do that, and it tries to make it a little bit more interesting, but it's only they only really pay, pay lip service to it. I don't think they do it well, but I think that they make an interesting stab at it, and I can appreciate that part of it. I think what I appreciate about this movie, as opposed to other Marvel movies or other big-time superhero movies, is it's it's operating on a smaller frame. It's it's operating a smaller framework. Yeah, that was one of the things I wrote down. Um, 
normally superhero movies have the world at stake. This time a bedroom is in peril. Right. I like that. That's actually something that they kept with Edgar Wright from Edgar Wright's original script. But in an abstract way, the world is, is you know, it, it, the, the, the future of the world is at stake in mm-hmm. terms of where we're headed with weapons technology and stuff like that. So um, I like the smaller scale. I, I've always appreciated movies that can deal with the, like the movie, it's not really a superhero movie, but it's sort of disguised as one boy wonder where the guy becomes his own superhero, it has that uh, element of scale. It's, it's shrunk down. So I don't appreciate those Avengers movies and the and the big superhero movies that go have to go off into space to save the entire universe. Because <laughs> where do you go from there? Oh, true. And that's the problem comic book movies run into. I, no, I, I did like that this was a heist movie. I, I thought some of the heist stuff was a bit... Uh, slow to develop all right i mean you know that they're going to be pulling this heist and they fall into that old cliche of we have to pull this heist at the last possible second all right right and well i mean that's that's the arc of the movie so yeah but i mean heist movies always work that way um like that I, i don't know i wish they had brought in another character for paul rudd to bounce off of i didn't think michael penna did a great job plus he he's in the beginning of the movie and then he's at the end he, he disappears plays... for long stretches in this. Well, they I also they, they try to set up something between uh, him and Hope Van Dyne, between the Scott Lang and the Hope character. Mm-hmm. And they also have the adversarial, you know, sort of uh, stereotype of the uh, stepfather. Oh yeah, which we have to talk about him. Uh, I, I, Bobby Can- to, Can- yeah. Canvalali. I almost said Adam Carolla <laughs> because that's we kind of. Looks like a little bit, I guess, maybe not at all, but yeah, Bobby Cannavale, he's he's a big part of the movie. So he, he's taken that role in the middle there that may have been filled by Louis Pena. Louis Pena is getting all the jobs that, uh, or no, wait, Michael Pena. Is, pa- is playing Louis. Yeah, but he's also getting all the jobs that Louis Guzman used to get, those sidekick roles. I think that's a problem in the film. I think that sort of minority sidekick issue that they do with those uh, secondary characters is is problematic. Oh, see, I felt like they went John Leguizamo if John Leguizamo was 25 years younger. Or Louis Guzman. <laughs> yeah, or Louis Guzman. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, all right, I saw this in uh, 2D, and I could tell where they were going for some 3D stuff. You saw it in 3D. Did mm-hmm. it matter? Did it work? Or It didn't add a whole lot to the film. I mean, some of the stuff when he was shrinking was neat. Uh, the scene in the bathtub with the water cascading all around him, that was kind of cool. But no, overall, I mean, I I don't think you have to go see this movie in 3D. I can tell you that as a person that doesn't watch 3D, they seem to have fixed, at least on the surface for me, the issue of the of the hanging particle, which plagues those other 3D movies that are, I guess, designed for 3D. I'm thinking, for example... Um, the Battle of the Five Armies, the Hobbit thing. Mm-hmm. I just watched that recently. Everything is designed with the idea that there's going to be some 3D element added to it, and that there's always floating particles. Mm-hmm. There's, and I know that that's just there for the 3D, the 3Dification. Ooh, just made up a word. The 3Dification of the movie, uh, and it annoys me. It's just there's no other reason for there to be small flurries of snow. <laughs> 
in the middle of this uh, sequence, but it's always there. And it, I guess it wasn't there with Ant-Man. Like, there wasn't dust particles floating in the sky or in the Yeah, moon, there were no so. fights in the rain. But they did do a lot of stuff with the swarms of ants flying through the sky. Okay. But that that's actually plot-driven, and it's not mm-hmm. just aesthetic. Okay. So, no reason to see it in 3D. And you say no reason to see it at all? You're, are you nah. telling Math- no, if, uh, if you're Matheny a... not to go? No, if you're Come a on. Marvel completionist, I mean, it's worth seeing. I'm not. No, I, I felt like this was a bit of a misstep for Marvel. You, you wow. know, I was surprised when I came back from the movie theater and went to go look at what critics had said about the film and saw how overwhelmingly positive they were about it. Yeah, I think it's in the high 80s on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Uh, Metacritic had a 7.9, which is pretty high. So uh, they all agree with me, so we're all right. You're wrong. Yeah, no. How does it feel to be in the minority on superhero movies, man? This is a very weird place to be as a fanboy. It's 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 astonishing because I was assuming that you would have really liked the other thing that I liked about it, which was this, the the visual elements. Like I really liked the way that they designed that suit. Oh, see, I thought the suit was <laughs> stupid. It's a big leather suit. You know what? Suit. You're stupid. Well, and then uh, when Paul Rudd puts it on, he's like, oh, "It's a perfect fit." It's like. Wow, you and Michael Douglas have the exact same body type. Well, Michael Douglas is, and that's why Michael Douglas older. was looking for you because he had to find someone who had the exact same physical attributes as him. We'll so have they to talk about suit. some of that in spoilers. But the suit was designed with uh, insects' eyes as its main focus on the uh, on the body parts, and it's got this sort of steampunk retro feel. I thought, which the maybe w- that has to be. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it has to have some steampunk idea in it for me to really get. Jazzed up about Maybe it. they show the wasp, which is the female version of Ant Man. I thought her suit was cool. All right, again, maybe we needed to save some of that for spoilers uh, because right. now we're going to have to move right into the spoiler section. I'm not sure what that spoils, but whatever. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. All right, so this is the deal. I didn't see any of those trailers. Uh-huh. I didn't know that there was. I didn't know what the main adversary was. The uh, yellow jacket. Yellow jacket. I mean, I saw it in the first part of the. You know, they showed it in miniaturized form. It's got lasers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got the. I mean, arguably, that's more important of of a weapon than the ability to shrink really small. And he has a jetpack. It's got lasers yeah but he can fly and he can shoot yeah lasers yeah not just punch well later on in the film they show him at full size going around and beating stuff up and shooting his lasers i'm like why not just make an army of those guys if you can fly around and shoot lasers you're pretty awesome why would you need why would you need to shrink at all and then (sighs) that's crazy he gets swatted into a bud zapper and he didn't go all the way in you can go all the way up. But it goes, I mean, it yeah. does the zap, and then yeah. later on it shows it like zapping him in the brain. So is that supposed to have made him more evil? I don't know. He I didn't couldn't be any more evil that. than to destroy little tiny lambs, little lambies, leading lambies to the slaughter. Oh, but that was just one of those parts where I'm like, wait, now he's getting electrocuted and he's becoming more evil? Like it's reprogramming him? It didn't. I didn't read it like that. I didn't see him getting more evil. I just thought he was already evil. Well, it seemed like he was coming back from the dead, like uh, Jason Voorhees there. Oh, to me. see, I didn't. I'm not steeped in those tropes, so that didn't occur to me at all. 
So, yeah, all right. I'm not saying that that's illegitimate. Yeah, I, I just... Analysis. Well, that just, and then uh, right after that, Bobby Cannavale comes into the backyard and subdues Paul Rudd. How did he get there? He is the greatest detective ever. He is the deus ex machina of detectives. He's following a helicopter that keeps flying. They, but did they show know- him follow, following the helicopter? Yeah, they have a they scene where shown. he's following it. In, but the, then, in the in the car that had been wrecked, right? Didn't, yeah. Didn't or, yeah. Hit the black or guy maybe he got another car. I, I don't I, know. I, I don't know. But I, somehow they noticed that a briefcase fell out of the helicopter, and they went to where the briefcase instead fell. Instead of the helicopter. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention earlier, when his car got stolen, he heard a car honk its horn and knew that that was the guy who stole his car. Well, yeah, because Paul Rudd had played that horn earlier in the movie. Yeah, that's a common, that or not a super common horn, but... No, it's not. It's a song. It's... Do, 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 yeah. Do. I've heard that before. I know that, Van. So he knows that that's got to be the bad guy? I, I no, don't. That's he, a no. leap of logic. No, no, no. If the guy who you're looking for, the guy who escaped your custody, was just at your house with that music playing... Mm-hmm then if you hear that music later, you might assume to go towards that music. That's See, what I he thought did. they were trying to get the guy who captured the car. But even if you're looking for Paul Rudd and you find two guys who it's aren't the van. Paul Rudd, but they aren't Paul Rudd. Right. But they're in Paul they're, Rudd's the, van. And so they're just going to arrest these well, guys. Well, yeah, come on now. That's not big. That's not that big of a stretch. Oh, no, I thought that was a pretty big leap of logic. The, the How they stretched that out was a stretch. <laughs> Them stretching out that scene so that he can get through the uh, machinations on the computer. That was a stretch itself, but for a detective to, f- oh, to, I know to follow fan. a clue. Yeah. And, and somehow they, they're, they're, it seemed like they well, were pretty far away. It. They're in the woods, but then they hear this van and they go and they know exactly where this thing is after only hearing its horn once. And this was the same van that no, they did they... notice when they were parked across from it earlier in the scene. No, because the van had been painted over. Originally, the van was a different color, and I think the van had been painted over to resemble uh, like a TV. Oh, so now they're just going after any van they see. I think if you're searching for someone that's escaped your custody, it would be it's it's similar to seeing someone who looks like the guy. the The bigger problem was why are they going after Hank Pym? Why are they trying to arrest him? And why didn't they do that a lot sooner? Why do, why do, or why are, there is a big time frame problem because he has, uh, he's supposed to have a matter of days before they have mm-hmm. this giant army of miniaturized laser suits, right? But he's able to go through this, it must be at least week and a half long training montage, well, which they like stretch it out be by months long. <laughs> yeah. And they stretch that out by showing them in different outfits. So, why weren't why wasn't Bobby Cannavale's character going to Hank Pym's house then to try to arrest him? How, because, did, how did he get onto that? Because he didn't know Hank Pym lived in the Munster's house. They yeah, showed he did. that was the original place where they arrested him. Yeah. Why but did they go you see there? the house? It looked like the Munster's house. <laughs> you know, it was filmed in uh, Georgia. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Set in San Francisco, but filmed in Georgia. Lots of movies are being filmed in Georgia now. Uh, I guess yeah, tax credits. Uh, I don't know. There were just lots of little leaps and logic. No, there was a lot of problems I had with it. Like they make out um, this Scott or uh, Scott Lang to be an awesome cat burglar that Hank Pym's been watching for years, but he only is he was arrested and thrown in jail for this sort of Robin Hood like 
burglary that he did mm-hmm. when he was an employee of some company. So is he a Robin Hood one-time cat burglar? Is he like an accomplished cat burglar? They were very inconsistent. His ability to scale up the side of the house at the beginning of the film, they yeah, never the came back hardcore to Hardcore parkour? Yeah, they never really came back to those skills. Even when he was Ant-Man, he didn't do a whole lot of like jumping and hopping around. He didn't do a bunch of He was parkour. just running real fast, but since he's so slow... He was climbing ants. He's moving inches per hour. <laughs> I... I don't like this whole trope, this new thing, where just because you're in the 99%, you're a de facto hero. Because, I mean, to me, the real heroes of this country are the 1%. I'm solidly behind the 1% because it's their taxes that pay for everything that we that we have. So I, I don't like this whole idea that everybody has to be against the rich. So it's a good thing that he robbed from a rich person. So he's a he's a hero. This makes him a good good guy. I've been watching you. You stole from a a rich guy, so, so I know I can guy. trust you. And I can trust super suit because you didn't steal from some poor people because that would have made you mad or bad. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to like it more than I did. I just. Ugh. Well, all right. So uh, Evangeline Lilly, what did you think of her role? They just didn't give her enough to do. I thought you know she's a good actress. The little fight montages she did, that was fine. Hopefully she comes back as the Wasp in future films. You didn't stick around for the final, for the Stinger? Well, yeah, no, I saw the Stinger, but she hasn't been confirmed to be in any future films. No. All right. What would you think? I thought she was not good. I thought she was better as Toriel in Battle of the Five Armies, which a movie I hated. Uh, but I didn't like her haircut. I didn't like her demeanor. I didn't like the cut of her jib or her hair. <laughs> I didn't like anything to do with that character. Except for some of the martial arts stuff where she, she that come they actually set that up and it comes out later where he does a move that she taught him. Yeah, the Hurricane Rana. Um she does not her motivations aren't clear throughout the movie, which is fine, but that just seems like a contrivance where they you're not really sure. I, I think that the unevenness of her character is a function of her inability to portray the character realistically. So as opposed to anything that was deft writing. Uh, I also heard that she did almost all of her roles was off off screen, like second unit, hmm. except for the interactions that she has where it required her to be with someone else. So like a lot of close ups, for example, her dinner with Corey Stoll. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was acting against him. I think I read or heard that somewhere that she was just acting against someone reading the script. And it seemed to me that that justified my interpretation of her being in a different movie or being in a different place in a different movie. Um, so she just seemed awkward and odd to me. Her schedule didn't allow for her to be with everyone else. I'm not sure. You know, all the the budgeting and all the... Or, you know, the production mm-hmm. issues that they had in the movie, I think, just contributed to her having a smaller role when Edgar Wright was involved. And then when he became disengaged from the project, they stretched her her character out. She might have gotten more involved with the uh, uh, script writing, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I do know that she seemed to be one of those awkward things about the movie that I didn't like. But, and finally, for at least finally in terms of the stinger and what I have to say about Evangeline Lilly, 
her the stinger thing that comes in the middle of the trailer or the middle of the credits where he's got this super suit for her too that undermines the entire conflict of the movie where Hank Pym doesn't want his daughter to to don the Ant-Man suit but he has a special secret super suit for her later well, instead he was he's willing for his wife when she passed right which was stupid but he realizes that she's a but she's never she doesn't put on the Ant-Man suit there's nothing that he finds out about her after the credits start rolling that he didn't know about her before it's, unless it's a trust issue and, it, and he, they don't say that in the stinger but there's no reason for him not to let her go if his reason is to protect her then there's no reason for him to let her go into this new suit it just it's a complete it, it cuts it off at the knees it cuts off the main conflict to the movie right there it, it, with the last scene or the, the second to last scene the penultimate scene yeah because then there's another stinger another stinger at the end and that could have been a stinger for anything. Yeah. That could have been for Spider-Man. Oh, I know a guy. Yeah, Spider-Man. Doesn't have to be Ant-Man. I, I, oh, sorry. Like I said, I wanted to like it better. I think it was let down by the script, and I think it was just too many people getting involved. You like the middle MacGuffin? Oh, that we're going to have the Wasp? Sure. I no, think... no, no, the middle MacGuffin where they have, we're going to go on this heist, but... We need this other special thing, so we better go to the Avengers. Oh, and then we have to go fight uh, Falcon. Yeah. Parts of the wow. fighting I liked. I didn't like that the Falcon was able to keep finding Paul Rudd when he's this tiny ant running along the ground instantly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just not buying that. And then so, they start shooting bullets at him. The fighting when Paul Rudd changes sizes, I think some of that can be interesting. That's I wish I that they like. had developed Paul Rudd, though, as a fighter earlier in the film. You know, made him seem kind of wily and. Well, they kind of did with the parkour, but then they got, like you said, got away from it. Yeah, I, I just didn't so bad buy that all of a sudden he's this amazing fighter and, you know, he's amazing at understanding distances. and. So he needed to get out a bit. protractor and a. I, I know there was one where a guy was trying to fire a gun at him. He goes miniature and now he's running up alongside the guy's barrel. Yeah. And it takes him like 15 seconds to get to the end of the gun. I'm like, oh, he doesn't really move very fast. Anytime he's small and trying to run around, they're trying to make it seem like he's moving real fast, and he's not. Yeah, but he's able to fly through the air and punch some people. Yeah. I... All right. Well, all right. How does it feel to be wrong? <laughs> that, that's How does fine. it feel to be in this position? Wow. It's very strange. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to put this really far down on the Marvel list of films that I've seen. Uh, it's a good thing that I liked it so much. It just goes to show that we're uh, very different movie watchers and viewers. Oh. Yeah, that I also think it doesn't help. I'm kind of over origin films, which doesn't bode well for yeah, going to watch really Fantastic Four. Film. Paul Rudd becoming Ant Man. Yeah, but the origin film would have been Hank Pym's story, which is another thing that I kind of like about this movie is that it could go backwards and and do the Hank Pym story. Well, apparently Hank Pym in a lot of the earlier stories he develops alter egos and does like a lot of mean things to his wife, and Ooh. he's not really that great of a character. Does he attack it, lambs, or does he hurt lammies? We had to develop the suit and the pim particle. Mm -hmm. So I think they were trying to avoid a lot of that, where apparently Scott Lang, he's motivated to help his daughter a lot in the comic book. And steal from rich people. <laughs> uh, I guess one last thing to say about it is I didn't like the, uh, I didn't like that they didn't do the heist very well. In fact, the montage heist sequence the planning sequence for Horrible Bosses 2. 
mm-hmm. was actually better than the heist sequence for this movie. Oh yeah, no, I did like that in Horrible Bosses too. Yeah. Are we allowed to spoil Horrible Bosses too right now? Yeah, we're in the spoiler section. We can spoil anything we want. I like that they show the heist going perfectly, and then they show you the actual reality. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh well, these were the only masks we could find. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I thought that was the best part of Horrible Bosses too. Uh, Horrible Bosses too wasn't that horrible. It wasn't as bad as it has some of the other comedy. Like I thought, I enjoyed it better than Trainwreck. Ah, uh, no, sir, you were wrong. No. That I enjoyed it better than Trainwreck? If I can be wrong about Ant-Man. You're wrong. Definitely wrong about Ant-Man. But, you know, you reserve that right. That's fine. So, go see it, but don't waste your time in 3D, which you shouldn't be doing anyway. Wait for it on HBO. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, the listeners want to know where we stand on the box office challenge. Mr. Two Frames, I Uh, feel pretty strong. You do? Well, you are winning right now. Yeah! You have 181.9 million so far after three films. Okay. Um, I only have 128.6 million, but I have two films left. I have one film. You have one film. You have Sinister 2 coming out August 21st. Okay. I think that'll make 25 million. Wow. That's strong for a horror film. Probably not. No. Maybe. So if that gets you 25 million, that'd bring you up around 215, 217. All right. I still have Mission Impossible, Road Nation, and I have Fantastic Four. Yeah, Mission Impossible 3 bombed. Yeah, but the fourth one did well, and this is the fifth. Hmm. All right. And I don't know if 3 bombed that badly. Yeah, I think it didn't It didn't do that well. It didn't live up. The second one was the highest grossing film of the year back in 2001, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, so. chances are I might, be, I might not be losing, as, at least as, as badly as I thought. No, no, no. I, I really flubbed when I picked Magic Mike. Well, and so far, I haven't met anyone who's seen Magic Mike, even though that had a lot of buzz when the trailer came out back in, like, March. Well, you haven't seen Nicole C. yet. No, I haven't so. talked to Nicole C. All uh, right. So the bots office challenge is alive and strong. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I think we'll know a lot in the next two weeks, because uh, August 7th is when Fantastic Four comes out, and that's my last film. So I have to be past you by that point. Right. Well, you'll definitely be past me, but maybe, maybe not by far. Maybe within, if you're within 10 to 15 million, then I might be winning, but we don't even know what the stakes are. So yeah, we still got to figure that out. I guess it's just bragging rights now because as it gets closer and closer, I'm not going to agree to anything that's going to put me in (laughs) an awkward position. Oh, so if Mission Impossible goes out and makes 70 million. Yeah. Then it'll be, Oh, you have to, uh, (laughs) you have to take some sriracha on, on your hot sauce. On your oral surgery. You've never had sriracha. I've never had sriracha. How do you do with hot, spicy things? I like hot, spicy things. Some, uh, I guess. I don't know. Boo, then. Huh? Boo. Why? Well, oh, you're going to do yeah, the three-pound sriracha challenge? Yeah, something like that. No. Drink a sriracha milkshake? No, I probably either one of us would do that. That's stupid. I'm not going to... You I'm just not, say that because you know you're going to lose. I don't... No. I'm not going to attack myself with food. <laughs> no matter what. Three pounds sriracha milkshake. I've lost five pounds, Mister Two Frames. Nice. Yeah, that's that's my goal. Is to lose five pounds. Then you've achieved your goals. Congratulations. <laughs> right. Nope, I won't attack myself with food, no matter what you say. <laughs> All right. So uh, next couple of shows might be kind of uh, a little strange. We're not really planning on seeing any movies this weekend, so we have a couple of things in store. A couple of ideas. Um, we're thinking about maybe doing a classics. A classics. Uh, I've read 
Cosette of Watchmen. I think you're reading it now in the mm-hmm. process. And that's uh, sort of a prequel or sequel or whatever Harper Lee's um, maybe first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. So we're thinking about looking at To Kill a Mockingbird and Go Set a Watchman for next week's show. Yeah. As a classics review. Try and live up to the literature part of literature and film. Yeah, this will be our first stab at that. But we still have to have film in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some listeners may be surprised to find that uh, I'm not really that high on uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, the movie. You and Roger Ebert. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. All right, I kind of look like him, too. Look like him, think like him. And we're right about most movies. <laughs> right? I don't know. I, I'll have to look at that review, and maybe we'll share some of that with you on next week's show. As Gail said in the movie Ant-Man, that is one seriously ugly dog. <laughs> Mr. Two Frames over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Train. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. numbers up or do you just write them no if you don't oh okay aren't you the one that normally does the update no you you throw to me when you don't know something but you want us to talk about it (laughs) no i I, that's your trick you do all the math on the show so uh you're like do you have the numbers anything that involves math